Well, so Pastor Micah, over the past couple weeks, uh, has been in a series called On Mission, how to make a difference, how to make a difference in people's lives. And, and in that, we've been going over the, the, uh, the parable of the lost son. And some of y'all know that really well. And uh, this past two weeks, Pastor Micah has done an excellent job with breaking down uh, what it mean, what the, the, the younger son was going through and what the older son was going through. Uh, Today, I'm going to be talking about the, the father's perspective in this story. Um, the past couple weeks got, so Pastor Micah talked about the first week, he said the whole main point of that message was God doesn't see you as broken, he sees you as loved. And that was the story of the younger son. When he came back to the father after going off and doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff that he knew that he shouldn't have been doing, he saw and he, and he was reaping the consequences of that. He came back to the father, and the father didn't see all that crazy mess that, that he did. He just saw his son coming home. His son was no longer dead, but his son was alive. The second week, we discovered that we must follow Jesus more for what he's given us than what he will do, for, than what we will do, than what he will do for us. We must follow Jesus more for what he has given us than for what he will do for us. So many times as we are in church for a long time, we want God to do more and more stuff for us. And we found out that the older son, he stuck with the father more for what he was going to get from him and do for him than just being with him. The parable of the lost son is actually about two sons. Both wanted things from the father, but they didn't want the father. They wanted things from him, but they, they just didn't want him. And the story, this story was actually prompted at a dinner that Jesus was at with a whole bunch of religious leaders of the time. And so it's really neat whenever you start to look and see why Jesus told this parable. It wasn't really, the main story wasn't even about the younger son, even though that's what we focus on a lot. The, the main story was about the older son because that's what he was trying to get across to the people that he was having dinner with. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a pastor and theologian um, and a Christian apologist. He said, you can escape God as much through morality and religion as you can escape God through immorality and irreligion. This kind of sums up the story, the parable of the lost son. Really, it's about both of these sons. You can escape God as much through morality and religion. You can escape God while sitting here in this building. You can escape God while doing all the things that you do to be a religious person, to do the things that you've been taught. You can escape God even in the midst of surrounded by people like us here. You can also, just as much as you can escape God through immorality and irreligion, just as much through running away from the church, running away from God, doing those things that we all know that we shouldn't be doing, but we do it anyway. So today, we're going to be looking at the Father's perspective. And I'm excited about this because I learned a lot actually going through these scriptures. What we're going to do is we're going to go through each of these scriptures where the Father had a part in it and to see how he interacted with his two children. And we're going to glean some stuff through that. Now, what I'm going to be talking about today, there are so many nuances 
in the situations that I'm going to be talking about that I could not possibly tell you exactly how you should handle every situation in every part of your life. Because when we're dealing with people, we are dealing with people that have whole and complete lives of their own. There are so many nuances that one thing is not going to work for everybody. Just saying, well, if you do this, then this will happen, does not work with people. Because there's so much that's going on, there's so much history that, is, that has happened in that person's life. You know, there are times when I'm driving down the street and I'm looking at all the cars passing me by, or that I'm passing by, you know, still going the speed limit and everything, you know. <laughs> and I look and I'm like, that's a person's life. Like, that person in that car is experiencing life right now. They have this entire history behind them that I have no clue about. I don't know anything about them. They're complex. They are, they're making right decisions. They're making wrong decisions. Some of them, they grew up in good households. Some of them grew up in bad households. Some of them, we just, we don't know who they are. And so this is why what I'm going to be talking about today, they're more principles. They're more kind of the, the foundation of how we should, the foundation of what we should use to be able to make decisions case by case. So you're going to hear some things and you're like, yeah, well, what if they do this? And what if they do that? Well, what if they stole money from me? Am I still supposed to do this? Well, am I supposed, how am I supposed to turn the other cheek whenever they do this to me? Well, these are all decisions that you have to make based on what you know about how God works in this world and how God wants us to operate. So with this, we're actually going to start at the end of this story. Luke 15, 31 through 32 says, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost but now he's found. And that's it. That's how the story ends. Jesus ends the story without telling us how the older brother responds. So what does this guy do? His, his, his younger brother has just came back home. They thought he was dead. They thought he had starved and died. And now he's in there celebrating. They're having a party. And the older brother is standing out there, and he's at a point in his life where he needs to make a decision. So what was his decision? Well, the scripture never tells us what he decides to do. And there's a reason for that. It's because the story ends without resolution because it's meant for us to decide how we will respond. It was meant for the people that Jesus was speaking to, it was meant for them to decide. So how will you respond in this scenario? So this is why it doesn't end, because this is the question that's posed to us. It ends without resolution because it's meant for the religious leaders of the day and for the reader, us, to decide what we would do, because this parable is for us as well. 
So the question for us today, and anytime we experience God in a way that, that kind of causes us to ponder life and wonder about who we are and why we're here, and I'm about to go through some of the stuff that we... <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry. Uh, when we traveled, we did certain um, street dramas and evangelism, and why am I here? Who is... And anyway, sorry. See... <laughs> I get so distracted, man, sometimes. So um, this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Anytime that, that we are sitting in a service, anytime that we are in our prayer time, anytime that we are praying, anytime that we're reading scripture and God speaks to us and we know something has to change in our life, this is the question that we have to ask ourselves. So will we run towards the Father or will we choose to run away from him? And this, in essence, is what Jesus was asking the Pharisees. This is, in essence, what Jesus knew he was going to be asking us today over 2,000 years later. What will you do when you hear something that changes your life? Will you run towards the Father or will you run away from him? Well, my hope is and my prayer is that we choose to run towards him. Now, there are times in our life that we are, there are seasons in our life that some of us were prodigal sons and daughters. There are times in our life that we have ran away from God and we knew that we were running away from God. There was a time in my life that I was a prodigal son. And even in those moments, there were these moments of clarity where I could hear God speaking and I knew that I needed to change my life. I knew I needed to do something different. So even in these moments, God is still speaking to us. And then there are moments where I'm the older son. I'm sitting here in church, but I'm doing the things that I know I shouldn't be doing. But I'm still following after God. So we're never fully a prodigal son or fully an older son. There's always these kind of ebbs and flows of life. My hope is that we live more on the side of that we are running towards God. Even though there are moments where we're running towards God and we're running away from him. And then we're running towards him and then we're running away from him. I hope for us today, for me, for my family, for us here today, for the sake of the people that are around us, that a majority of our life, we are running towards God. No matter what that means for us in our life. Today's Insights are a foundation for how we interact with others to better point them and also us to God. So just keep that in mind as I'm going through some of this. Remember, there's not a one shot for everything. Like these are foundational things that will help us make decisions in all the areas of our life. All right, so let's take a look at how the father responded in the story so, and, and see what we could take away from it. So the first part, Luke 15, 12. The younger son told his father, I want, to sh I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. The father at this point did not withhold the son's inheritance. Now he could have. He had all the right to say, no, I'm not going to do that. What you're looking at doing is stupid and immature, and I'm not going to give you all this money so you can go out there and make a fool of yourself. 
he could have done that. I don't know how old this son was, but he was obviously old enough to be able to go out and to live on his own, to make those decisions for his life. The father did not withhold inheritance. The first thing that I see that the father has on the inside of him is that he gave his son freedom. Now, this is a scary thing. This is one of those nuanced moments. When my kids were little, I did not give them the freedom to just go run out in the middle of the street on a busy highway. They did not have that freedom at that point in their life. They had to grow up and get a little bit more maturity before I would let them go out and run out in the middle of a busy street. (laughs) Whether that's right or wrong. (laughs) So this is one of those nuanced moments. So obviously, I'm not going to let my kids do things that are are going to hurt them uh, in that way. But little by little, I give my kids freedom. Little by little, as soon as I can, I want to give my kids enough freedom so that I can help them in ways whenever they're here living in my household. I don't want to wait until they're 18 to say, yeah, okay, now you can go across the street by yourself. Now you don't have to hold my hand while we walk across the street. Because at that point, it's already, I'm, I'm dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff. Because at 18, they know that they could do it by themselves. But if I'm constantly holding their hand while they're crossing the street, that creates frustration. That creates frustration in me when somebody treats me like a little kid. I'm like, I, my mom's not here right now, but I'm still going to talk about her. She'll be here second service. My mom will, and probably all moms will do this, and I'm probably going to do the same thing to my kids whenever they're older. But my mom constantly, even today at 40 years old, she says, now you be careful. Now you don't do that. Now look, you don't. And I'm like, mom, look at me, mom. I'm a grown man. But I won't. I won't do that stuff. I'm sorry, mom. I won't do that stuff. Freedom. God shows us this freedom as well. I, I kind of go back and forth on some of my sc- favorite scriptures and favorite books of the Bible, but currently my favorite is Genesis. There is so much packed into Genesis, the very first book and second book and third book of Genesis. Like You can point everything back to why things are the way they are today because of Genesis. Like It is, it is mind-blowing. So anyway, so Genesis 2.15, but the Lord God warned them, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. God gave Adam and Eve freedom to choose. I've had so many discussions with people, uh, they're like, okay, well, if God knew that they were going to eat it, why did he even put it in the garden in the first place? And that's a great question to ask, and we should ask that question, because God, if you knew that we were going to mess up, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to do that to us? You, you knew that we were dumb enough to do it. Why did you do that? And I believe it's because he valued, God values freedom over safety. He values freedom 
over slavery. He values freedom. If the tree was not right there in the garden, they were not actually free to choose. Because what other choice do they have except to follow God? And genuinely, what other choice do we have but to follow God? He is the best way. He is the only way to really follow. But he gave us an out. He gave us the ability to run towards him. He gave us the option and the freedom to run towards him. He gave us this freedom. In the middle of, gar- in the middle of this garden was a choice. And it's the same choice that we have today. And we may like, look back and be like, if it was me, I wouldn't have done it. I would have lived in this garden, eating whatever I can eat, doing whatever I can do, relaxing, not have to do all this work. I can just walk with God. I wouldn't have done it. But we do it every day. We make a decision every day to run away from God in little tiny things, in big things. Maybe not every day, but in little ways. We make this decision to eat from this tree. And one thing I love, man, it was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For some reason, uh, we as human beings right now, we do not have this ability, this maturity to be able to handle this knowledge of good and evil. Because we choose evil. If only once, it messes up everything. Who knows? Maybe if we walked with God long enough, he would have slowly gave us this freedom to be able to choose and to understand the difference between good and evil, the knowledge of good, and be able to, to house that, that knowledge. But we just took it on ourselves. We're like, nah, I want to do this myself. He gave us that freedom knowing that it would end up like it is today. Knowing that there would be all this death, destruction, hatred, violence, and sin that we see today and also in history. He saw freedom as more important than its, than its outcome. It's a very strange thing, but I'm very thankful that we have freedom. So obviously there are some nuances here, but um, people need freedom to choose how they live and not legislate how they should live. This is hard for us sometimes because we want our, our government to make laws that follow what we want them to follow. But we already tried that. That's the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament was about God, just give us the rules to follow so we know what to do, please. No, no, no. We don't want this priest. We don't want this, this person that's speaking for you. We don't want you. We want a king like all the other nations. Give us that. Give us laws to follow, and we will follow them. So he said, okay, and he did, and there are hundreds of laws that they possibly couldn't follow, and that was the whole point. The whole point was to show them that it was not possible to follow all those laws. People in your life need freedom to choose how they will live and not, we do not need to legislate to them how that they should live. 
the people that are in your workplace, the people that are in your neighborhood, they do not need you to constantly be over them and say, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't sit there and kind of guide them and tell them and talk to them about how you think that you should deal with a situation, but if they decide to choose something different, how will you respond? Will you respond with an attitude of freedom that you're allowing them? I mean, you, you can't really allow somebody to do something, but, but you are not withholding your emotions on them. You're not withholding anything back from them because they have decided to do something. Again, this is all nuanced, so you know you have to take that with this kind of mentality. So people need freedom to choose how they live and not legislate how they should live. The second, Luke 15, 17 says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. At this point, the father's house was so different than the life that this son chose that there was just this huge, massive difference. He knew that something was not right in his life. What the father did in his house was he created stability in his household. Stability is huge in people's lives. When people are going through a crazy amount of mess, they look for stability. God gives us stability. Philippians 4.19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now listen, this doesn't mean that all of our lives are going to look the same. This doesn't mean that we are all going to be making the same amount of money, living in all in the same neighborhood and all in the same part of the world. This does not mean that our lives will, be, will look the same, but this says that God will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. There is a stability in that, in this unstable world. There is a stability that God provides when we, when we hand our lives over to him. No matter how much money you make, there is a stability. When I look back at me and, uh, and uh, my wife, Jennifer, <laughs> I was trying to decide if I would say Jennifer, my wife. When I look back at our 16 years of marriage that we just celebrated like a couple weeks ago, um, I look back every now, every now and then when I get like, man, like, yeah, but I don't have that, you know, like, man, I'd really like that thing. That'd be so cool if I could do this, I could do that. I look back and I'm like, I start seeing what God has done for us in our life in big and in small ways. Like, it is, it is unreal. Well, it's very real, it's, but it's, it seems unreal. There's a stability that, that is offered. When someone's life is falling apart, they usually lean on people with stable lives. We don't get this stable life on our own and by ourselves. We get this stable life by, by following after God, by running towards God. That stable life doesn't mean that your life is perfect, by the way. This stable life means that, that you are not constantly, like, one minute you're you're raging down the road or you're with, at, your, at your work and, and you're constantly complaining about this and constantly complaining about that and constantly telling off somebody and constantly cussing at this person and constantly putting this person down and be like, oh, God bless him. Jesus just loves him so much. You know, like there is this, this unstable 
kind of mentality that we have sometimes when we're kind of, kind of working in both worlds. Where we know that we shouldn't be talking about this person like that, but we do anyway because for some reason it makes us feel good because that person's a jerk and we just, you know, it just makes us feel better. But that is unstable because, because that is not seeing people the way that, that God sees them. And so there is a stability whenever we walk with God that I have seen happen over and over and over again with old friends in my life. Um, I was talking to my brother the other day. He had some old friends contact him uh, that he used to run around with. And uh, I believe that people do that because when they see our lives now it's, or they know us now, they see that there's a stability there. Not a perfection, but there's a stability in our, in our mental awareness. There's a stability in our life that no matter what kind of happens, we just, we're stable. We're good. Like, yeah, I know this is all happening, but that, that's not changing my outlook on, on stuff. So stability is important. Luke 15, 20. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. This father had compassion and love for his son. He knew what his son was doing. I'm sure he heard stories because he thought his son was dead. He knew what was going on, but as soon as he saw him, he didn't just sit there and wait for him to come to him. He's like, here he comes. Yep. He, I don't even know if he's going to come. I'm going to wait for him to come inside. I'm not even going to go out there. He needs to come to me. What he did to me was wrong. He took my inheritance that I worked so hard for, and he wasted it. He better come to me. He didn't do that. He ran to his kid. He saw his kid from a distance. He got out of his seat, and he ran to him. That's what we want in our life. We don't want people to hold that our past against us. When we are coming back, we don't want people to look at us that way. We want people to forgive us. We want people to have compassion on us. Again, there's these people riding down the street. We have no idea what they are going through. This is their one and only life. This is their life that they are living, and it is important. He had compassion. God has compassion. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. They already had the fig leaves. What else do they need from me? <laughs> they were obviously learning and getting along well. They made their bed. They should sleep in it. That's not what God says. God reaches out to them, explains to them what was going on, and then he sacrificed. This is probably one of the first sacrifices that we see in Scripture. He sacrificed an animal so that they could have clothing to cover this thing that they were so ashamed of. God has compassion on us, and we need compassion on the people that are around us. We need compassion for our families, for our, the people that are around us. When someone's life devolves into utter chaos, despite your warnings, remove I told you so from your vocabulary, please. I know you want to say it. It's at the tip of your tongue. You just want to be like, ah, but don't do it. Because it doesn't sound good coming out of your mouth. It doesn't sound the way you think that it does. They're not going to receive it the way that you think they're going to receive it. They're going to not like that. And they're gonna, it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn them off a little bit. It'll show them that maybe there's not so much stability that I thought in there. 
We're going to quickly go through this. I've got one minute and 31 seconds. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Unbound forgiveness. I was trying to figure out the right word, but I think this is the unbound forgiveness is what this father showed his son. That his son was like, look, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to live in your house anymore. I just, I don't want to live, I just, I'm sorry for what I've done. And he's like, nah, he didn't even want to hear it. He didn't care about, he, he was not focused on what he has done. He was focused on now, you are here and you are alive, let's celebrate. Unbound forgiveness. He did not make him pay back what he, what he lost. Unbound forgiveness. This is what God shows us. Oh, wait. Oh, what? Wait, this is what. Oh, what joy for those who dis, whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. That's all of us in here. Do not label people by what they've been forgiven of. Nuanced, okay. If somebody steals from you, we're not going to, like, probably not going to, right at that moment, trust them with certain things, okay. But I'm not going to label them a thief. They've been forgiven. I'm not going to call somebody by what they've already been forgiven of. I don't, I don't want that. I know we don't want that. And this is, this is how... Father, God, and this Father in this story is showing us how to live. Here we are at the end again. The older brother was angry, wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. The father was consistent. And I would also add in their fair as well. He did the same thing for the, young, for the older son that he did for the younger son. Now the roles are kind of switched. Now the younger son's home, the older son's the lost one. Standing outside, not wanting to come into house. So what does the father do? He runs out to him. He's consistent. You've heard the law, you've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I'm just going to leave that right there. In that way, you will be acting as the true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight on both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that for you? Even the corrupt tax collectors do that much. We're supposed to love our enemies. God is calling for us to be radical in our love. To not do the same way that, and the same things that this world does. The world wants us to hate our enemies, to fight our enemies. Don't let your enemies do that to you. You fight first. You strike first and you strike hard so that they don't ever come back to you again. You don't like what they did, you fix it. They disrespected you, you disrespect them back. These are the things that are caught up in our, in our world. These are these ebbs and flows that we're like, we're running towards God, but sometimes I just want to run away from him because I want to run towards this guy right here. But God calls us to love our enemies. In order for our world to change and get back to the way that it should be, 
this is where it starts. It starts with us being radical in our love. It starts with us loving our enemies. This is a nuanced thing, right? Treat people as equal. We have to treat people as equal. It doesn't mean we're all gonna get paid the same, but no matter if you're rich or poor, you should respect that person regardless. You should sit next to them regardless. Treat them as equal. Last one, his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he was found. He's a teacher. This father is a teacher. He went out and he got on his level and he tried to explain to him and tried to help him understand what was going on. He didn't just write him off and be like, he just needs to get over it and then he can come inside. I think I say that to my kids sometimes. Look, you can come out of your room whenever you get over whatever this is, then you can come out. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's right. That's okay. The Lord says, I will give you, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life. I will advise you and watch over you. God's a teacher. God teaches us. He, there's one verse I love. He doesn't cast pearls on swine. There's these moments in our life where we are the swine. We're not ready to hear the wisdom that God has. So he waits and he builds us up to that so we can fully understand it, not just explode on us. Take time to understand what you believe, this is important, and how to communicate it. Oh my goodness, it's so easy to repeat things that we see up here, to repeat these like one-liners that are just like so good. And we know they're good and we feel it in our spirit and we're like, yeah, that was good. I really like that. But we don't, but as soon as it comes out of your mouth saying it to somebody else, there's something in your head that's like, ask, starts asking questions. Yeah, but what does that actually mean? And then as you're saying it, they're like, what does that actually mean? And you're like, I don't, I mean, it means that you repeat it and you're like, that's, we need as, as Christians, as people of God, we need to understand why we believe what we believe. We need to take this time and deep thought and understanding so that when we do communicate it, then it's not just regurgitating the sentence, but it's actually like digging deep into it to helping them and helping the people understand how to get to this point. This is, this is how we live on mission. This is how we live a way, in a way that people will see our lives and they will want something different. They will need something different. They will see that God is moving in us and through us and uh, that God wants to work in their life as well. This is why whenever you're taking those cards to go invite people to Easter, that when you live a life like this, it's so much easier because you have all this to kind of back up, to back you up. This is how we live life on mission every single day of our life. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take just one minute. We're going to reflect on what God is speaking to us right now. Um, and as you're doing this, one good thing to do is just ask yourself, so what is God speaking to you right now? And then when you know what that thing is, then ask yourself, so what am I going to do about it? Because that's a good thing. You don't want to just know it. Which, what, what is the next step for you? What are you going to do about it? And another great thing to ask yourself is now, who am I going to tell? Because then that kind of holds you accountable for the things of God. And that's kind of 
how this whole community thing works as we are, uh, as we are living and, and working with each other and as we are learning with each other and uh, building this whole community here. So let's all, let's all stand up. We're just going to take a minute uh, and reflect, and then we're going to go to one more worship song.